Welcome to the Business and Enterprise Systems Mission Success Podcast, where we give you bits and bites about BES news and other topics of interest. We have a very special guest today, Senior Enlisted Leader of BES, Chief Master Sergeant Marcus Neal. Chief Neal, good day to you, sir. How are you? Good day to you, sir. How are you doing this morning? Doing great. I, I want to just jump right into some questions. I know you uh, came into your current position recently in the fall of 2022. So introduce yourself to us and share a little bit about your Air Force background with us. All right. Well, I'm Marcus Neal. I am from Chattanooga, Tennessee, just four hours up the road. I've been doing the military life for better part of 27 years. Uh, I was a four-year enlistee once upon a time. Uh, wanted to travel, wanted to see the world, serve the country. Uh, to the best of my ability, uh, and it's been a it's been a ride that's been very successful for me so far. I don't regret anything uh, as far as background. By uh, committee, I am a uh, aircraft armament systems person, so I have nothing to do with com, nothing to do with IT. I deal with maintenance, and I've been dealing with maintenance uh, my entire career until I got here to BES. So everything is new. As you get into this new role? Uh, is it starting to feel more like home? It is. Uh, I'm an SEC guy, so that helps. Uh, but yeah. uh, as far as the uh, roles and responsibilities, I've been a chief for a couple of years. So knowing that taking care of people is my primary uh, goal. So just walking in, having the, uh, or having Mr. A uh, have the confidence in me to come down here and uh, take over such a dynamic portfolio and uh, business is is absolutely uh, astonishing for me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, couldn't think of a better place to be. And as you, you talk about that, moving into this new role, as the senior enlisted leader, can you explain to us what your responsibilities are in this role? Yeah, sure. Uh, I get up every day to take care of airmen. I don't know how to make it any more simplistic than that. Uh, I wake up, put this uniform on, knowing that I can go out and be the buffer, uh, be the voice, uh, be the leader, uh, be the um, be the rock for someone who needs a little bit more assistance that I, I can provide uh, by services, uh, by mentorship, leadership. Um, sometimes it's just a bended ear uh, to see what those concerns are. And more times than not, people can talk and advise themselves uh, once they've heard it in, you know, third person uh, to say, hey, you know what, I've got this chief, uh, I just want to I just wanted to bounce some ideas off of you and I'll be able to go execute that with a little bit more confidence. So as long as I'm able to do that, I think that's exactly uh, what I am designed for, built for, uh, and why I was chosen uh, for this position. That's great. I know just in some brief conversations I've had with you, it's, it's very clear that you have a great uh, deal of care for the airmen that, that you're overseeing, and I think they need to hear that, uh, not just uh, words from you, but I've been witness to it. You do have a great uh, care for them and want to make this the best possible um, journey for them as well. So as you come into this organization, you know, it, any organization, any new role, it can be overwhelming at times. So share with us some of the things that have helped you integrate into BDS and, and make this a smooth transition for you. Uh, well, I'll, I'll be completely uh, transparent. Uh, again, the maintenance background, I have nothing, I have no idea uh, what I was stepping into uh, with this <laughs> other than going to meet dynamic people. So I knew uh, coming forward, I wasn't going to be the smartest person in the room. 
uh, but I wanted to build the relationships with the uh, airmen. And that's why I enjoy my 1v1 times with anybody that walks in the office uh, so I can treat them like a person. They can see me as a person uh, and we can get to know each other uh, at that at that level. So they can kind of, I feel, uh, develop a trust in me that says, hey, he's interested in me. He wants to know what I do. He wants to know how uh, this mission affects me uh, things that I can do better, they can do better, we can do better uh, to be more successful. So once I plant that root that it's not about me trying to do something other than my capabilities uh, and then uh, fostering that uh, trust with them to say, hey, I may depend on you, I will depend on you, I need you uh, to help me uh, in making some decisions uh, in that in that regard. I believe that's the, the best way uh, to, to develop those relationships because they know that I don't have to be the smartest person in the room to uh, to lead them. I need to ask their assistance when when needed, and, and we champion together. I'm not scared to fail, right? Uh, most people say you don't need to fail in life. Well, the first attempt is learning. That's what failure is to me, and I learned that from someone else, right? So if you can do that, if you're not scared to take those risks, uh, having a little bit, you know, substance to whatever that uh, problem might be. Uh, go for it. You know, take take that chance on the person. Take that chance that they are giving you the most advice uh, and the best advice that they have, and 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 walk with it, and then you learn from it. So uh, that's that's the human element for me, and it works uh, well to say, you know what, I may not know, but I know that you do, and if you do and we do together, and you can teach me, uh, then we'll be successful. That's really good. I know there's a lot of conversation these days. Uh, about building trust in an organization. And what you're talking about is definitely building trust so that um, that, that trust just leads everybody to success. So really great to hear that. Um, I know one of your daily expectations for BES personnel, if, if it's airmen, civilian, whatever, is to effectively communicate and elevate any needs that they have. Um, can you speak to that a little bit more? How do they do that? How do you elevate needs? What are the needs? that you're seeing being elevated? Well, I'll, I'll jump in with this. I think that, you know, effective communication moves everything, right? If you can't communicate, you can't, you can't go forward with anything in progress because you may not, that message may not be heard. You know, it may not be received the way uh, that you intend and then you're just stuck and you have to revisit. So you're not making any kind of progression with that. Um, it, People perceive that you know anyone needs uh, to be heard, and and that's true, right? I need to be able to tell you, I need to have confidence in you that what I'm giving you is vital information to make a decision, especially in these roles. And when I'm not able to do that, when I don't understand, it becomes a hindrance. But you have to be able to effectively communicate and effectively listen. So if I'm not giving you the message and you're not interpreting it the right way, then I need to revisit without, you know, the negligence or the um, uh, belittlement of I don't understand. So you need to readdress versus maybe I need to listen a little bit differently uh, to receive your message because everybody's not on the same playing field. But we need to we need to understand that. Right. Uh, mm. Case in point. I don't know all the, uh, not to be coy, but I don't know all the ones and zeros of everything that happens inside this organization. So if I need small bites, it's not because, well, you're a chief, you should know versus you're a person that needs a little bit more help in order to help me resolve uh, this barrier, right? So 
that's that's effective with communication. Well, that's the way to effectively communicate is saying, what do you know uh, going into this conversation so we can so we can have uh, that that one v one to get to the delta, whatever that whatever that might be. Really good. Now, as we talk about communication, we can't help uh, but bring up teleworking. It's been a huge part of the world for the last few years. So teleworking has many advantages. Uh, there's also many challenges. Um, when we speak in terms of challenges, can you share with us some of the what you think are the disadvantages that airmen are facing um, in that remote environment? And I don't know, how, how can teleworking be used as an advantage when maybe there are some challenges? How can it be used as an advantage uh, to overcome those disadvantages? Okay, uh, so uh, it's new, right? Anything new is going to have uh, failed expectations because you're all trying to work through and navigate how that posture is supposed to work. Uh, teleworking in a disadvantage uh, idea for me is that new onboarding, right? Uh, you have a person who just got here, uh, doesn't know the land, doesn't know the locals, doesn't know the layout. Uh, trying to find their, their way uh, around uh, an organization, uh, trying to find out what the structure looks like, and the people aren't present. Um, the oversight for on-the-job training, things that need a touch point to say, hey, am I doing this right? Uh, because when I hit enter, uh, this is going across to the customer on the other end, and a person being able to say, hey, before you do that, let's talk about it, right? Uh, let me see what you've done in a progressive nature in the training that you are trying to receive, that's important to me. Uh, the social piece of it is important to me. Hey, I'm important, right? You're gonna take out some time in, in your day to come and make sure that I'm okay with doing what I'm doing. Um, and and it's, it's, just, it's just part of human nature. Uh, but if you are that three level, you are that new hire and you're figuring it out on your own and I get to see you once, twice a week to say, yep, you're successful, um, that could have some dire consequences. You don't know if they're doing it right. You're not, unless they send you stuff and that becomes more work than it is uh, a benefit. So uh, are we wasting more man hours by reinventing uh, that loop to say, hey, send me what you've done so I can check it before you send it out versus I'm over the shoulder, make sure we do this once, execute and move on. Um, for me, I know that teleworking uh, itself is a crutch. Uh, it may have all great intent, but every distraction, every obstacle in the world is waiting on me when I wake up, whether it be pets, noise, uh, procrastination, right? All of those things are, are just blooming before I can even get started. And uh, Mr. Alder said in his all call, not uh, yesterday, he said, uh, are you doing eight hours of work? And is that eight hours costing you 16 hours of being in front of a computer because you have different pockets of time to get to eight hours versus that continuum of eight hours of, of deliverable, executable mission, right? Um, now, the benefit of it, right? Uh, sometimes you get uh, I guess tired of people. <laughs> sometimes you may have that uh, off day that you uh, need to pull your laptop because you're in a, a crowded environment, you need to think. Your TDY and you're a you know, single point of failure because you have the rights to do X. Well, that shouldn't be able to stop you, but if you need uh, some time, if you have that autonomy to go back and say, you know what, this is a better environment for me today, 
uh, then then you know take it. That's a great benefit. Being TDY and and doing things on the laptop doesn't mean that you physically need to be in the office in order to execute, but it also gives you uh, the ability and flexibility to say, I can still take care of things that are needed uh, and not have to sit here at my desk in, in order for that to happen. So I, I relish in the fact that, you know, we have laptops and we're able to execute the mission from different places, barring we have VPN and, and networks. Uh, but uh, other than that, you know, that social butterfly of people, and we need to make sure that we aren't wasting more energy by waiting on someone to log in in order to see what they've done in order to execute the mission. So those are my give and takes of it. Uh, I think that they are both important. Uh, we just need to make sure that we're utilizing that time that's given to us and not overexerting ourselves because uh, we have time for time. Because you don't, you're not going to get it back. So. Right. Um, I mean, what this discussion with advantages and disadvantages, I heard someone say years ago that really balance, there's no such thing as balance because when there's balance, there's no motion. Right. So there's always going to be advantages and disadvantages. And we just have to work through those, those tensions and those cycles. So, uh, but I appreciate what you're saying that there is both sides. There are advantages and disadvantages and, uh, it's great to see that leadership is saying, let's work through this rather than uh, settle for one or the other. So. Yes, sir. And I'd like to offer one more thing before we move, yeah. uh, especially when we talk about balances, because I think we've had that discussion before. Um, there's there's a pivot point. Uh, you're sitting at home and you think that, you know, your telework isn't affecting others. And if you're sitting in a, a, with your family, loved ones, significant others, uh, whatever you draw attention to, uh, it's 100 percent one way or the other. You give 100% to that time or you don't. Uh, saying you'll be back in a minute uh, doesn't necessarily affect that 100% towards work to get it done. And then sitting on the couch or wherever you are and not being present for your family, uh, it just says that they, what you're doing is more important than them. So you just have to find that. You do have to find that where you're going to lean in uh, to mission versus family. Uh, and there's something that's going gonna to have a cost. Uh, single airman under orange, congratulations, right? But uh, mom's calling on the other end of the phone and you might be working, <laughs> right? So there's there's a difference. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to give your abilities to something and distractions are occur on both ends. So uh, something that you just need to, I think that's just something people need to realize overall. Good stuff. So um, all of this is just part of a a bigger conversation, I think, about culture, the culture of an organization. So what do you think is good company or organization, organizational culture? What does that look like? Um, so I fought with this question a little bit, and I'm glad that you asked it. Uh, my, my biggest thing, if I'm being honest, I'm going to go a little bit <laughs> off script, uh, just uh, acknowledging that everybody's different and they can bring something to the organization. They don't have to look like you, sound like sound like you, be like you. Uh, they can be them uh, and they have value. Uh, when it has to be one lockstep uh, type of person, then are you really flourishing uh, in, in an organization? And the answer is no, right? Uh, when you're not treating people like people, when you're not uh, honing in on good ideas that may be different than your own, uh, it becomes that they are less relevant. And one thing I've said in uh, many a meeting is that we need to fight for relevance. 
we need to make sure that we are taking care of those who don't feel like they have a voice to say, you know what, what can you bring to the table? Because it only takes one, uh, one instance where somebody's forgotten about that that great idea just left the room and it doesn't flourish and they could have solved your problem or they could at least made others think about, you know what, I've never thought of it in that aspect and we can do something, uh, we can do something a little bit different. We can get after it a different way. It doesn't have to be the way it's always been. People get trapped in that, uh, right? From a military standpoint, uh, coming in, it was uh, shut up in color. You don't know anything, right? Find a big crayon and sit in the corner because you don't have value. Uh, but you're talking about people, you're talking about literal human beings that uh, just because they come in on the enlisted side of things doesn't mean that they don't have a degree and they're not smart. Doesn't mean that they have a bad uh, background and can't bring something to uh, an organization, civilian, uh, civilian alike. Uh, just because you are a female doesn't mean that you can't be in a male environment and bring something to an organization and vice versa, right? Uh, so those discriminators are things that we talk about uh, holistically from a DOD, uh, military, Air Force, uh, pick your service uh, standpoint. There's, that's, that's what that culture looks like. If I don't look like you, talk like you, speak like you, or have the intelligence you have, I don't bring value. And that's, that's uh, irrelevant uh, when it comes to trying to build because what are you building? If you're not doing anything different, you're plateauing. You're staying at that level ground and you will never, you will never go towards that peak of performance that everybody uh, says is needed in an organization to flourish. So uh, again, you pick your poison. Do I take a risk on the person who may do something a little bit different or do I stay stagnant and just wish that things are going to be a little bit better knowing that they won't? That's good. That's a healthy culture right there. And, and with that, I know that uh, as we talk about a healthy culture, red flags can pop up and it may be red flag with uh, somebody, how somebody contributes to the culture. But what about work ethic and just the, that contribution, contribution to the culture? Um, what are the red flags that you see that pop up where you think, OK, we, we may need to address this in some way because it may have a negative impact on, on the culture you're trying to build? Uh, that's a fair question. I think uh, it goes back to valuing people. Uh, but uh, a, a red flag that people don't, uh, well, I believe that people don't pay attention to until it's too late is just 100% green culture. Everything's swimmingly well. Everything, all the metrics are good. Everything is just as perfect as it can be. And you know, uh, you know very well that they're not. Uh, are you feeding uh, the 100% one of one because that's what the uh, boss expects? Are you saying it because you haven't looked? And are you taking those new ideas that's going to bring you into the yellow or red in order to make it more effective uh, with some kind of uh, get well date? Uh, so 100% green to me is the biggest red flag in any organization. And it's something that I challenge and lean into to be like, okay, well, why are you green? Why have you been green for six years? Are you challenging yourself to be a little bit better in growth? because everything grows over time, right? Um, so what are you doing to be a little bit better as opposed to this metric that hasn't been challenged? So that's my red flag. If you're just telling us what we want to hear versus what we need to know and it's green, is it? So I take that as, a, as one of the tools to be like, okay, I'm not getting anyone in trouble, but you gotta show me why you're green. 
you got to show me why you're so healthy when Manning is low, when opportunities have been, you know, uh, at a at a disadvantage because of the environment that we're in. Uh, challenges with money and how you're doing your resources and taking care of people, all those things, and you're just 100% good. I don't believe that because that's just that's stale. That's just staleness for me. You know, it's a stalemate for me to be like, ah, eh, well then we need to challenge you a little bit more. Or maybe your team needs some more, uh, you know, things to uh, make green. If you are that healthy, then maybe I need to use your talents elsewhere. Maybe you could take on a little bit more and help the ones that are struggling uh, and or just tell us how you're doing it. And maybe we can take a, a glance at how your uh, courses of action differ from what the next organization is doing. But 100% green, that, that's, a, that's a red flag for me. At, at any given point. And I've seen great leaders uh, go away uh, because they uh, did fail to see that they weren't green, so. That's really good. Hey, even Tiger Woods has a golf coach, so. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. So. And I, the, the line of thinking there is really an attitude that you have, uh, habits that you have. And I want, I want to get into that. You've been in the Air Force for a while. Um, how many years again? Uh, 27. 27 years in the Air Force. So yes. over time, you've had mentors, you've had experiences, you've picked up skills along the way, developed habits and attitudes. So what are those skills, attitudes, behaviors uh, that have helped you most the time, uh, most in your time in the Air Force, but also what are some of those things you want to encourage others to consider? Hey, this is a mindset you need to adopt, uh, a habit you need to adopt? What are some of those things that have helped you and what do you want others to, to pick up? Uh, so once upon a time, uh, Airman Neal uh, came into the Air Force. And like I said, with the big crayon theory of not knowing what to do and being told everything you know under the sun uh, was needed to be relearned. Uh, treat people like people. I know that you didn't start, uh, you didn't, just because you're flourishing now 15 years into your career doesn't mean that you didn't have a starting point, right? So if you can go back and treat people, remember how you wanted to be treated when you got treated less fairly uh, and, and articulate a new message that, you know what, you're valued. That's, that's the reason, again, it goes back to what I said when we first got it. I get up every morning to make sure that I can take care of people. So if I treat people like, treat, uh, if I treat people like people, uh, then they get they are seen and, and that's not you know that's that's everything for me um i had to learn that um i had to learn that from someone who was uh subordinate to me as well uh, i was not the best nco in the world when it came to mannerisms because again you develop based off of your airmanship and i wasn't treated you know as if i knew a lot so i treated people who were subordinate to me as if they didn't know a lot and i share this at a lot of leadership schools, and there's usually a cuss jar along, uh, alongside, so I'll, I'll spare that uh, part of the conversation. But I had an airman who was uh, working for me. I was a young staff sergeant, and I asked him to do uh, the base, uh, the building details, um, and I left him to do the chores because the expectation was nose down, head down, do the chores, and, and be done. It was a Friday. And I saw the young man on the other end of the hallway uh, peeking in someone's office. You know, it looked like he was having 
a fairly good time with the conversation that we was having. And I, I just unloaded on them. All hallways, all, all doors open, looking down the hallway as to what was going on. And uh, later on that night, that young airman came to me and he said, hey, uh, Sergeant Neal, can I, can I talk to you once everybody's gone? Uh, long story short, he and I had a he had a face-to-face, one-v-one conversation. He said, hey, I'm a, I'm a grown man. I am uh, 32 years old. I have a life. I have a wife. I have children. And this is the last thing I could have done in the Air Force. Uh, this is the last opportunity I had was by joining the Air Force to take care of my family. I've had life struggles. And I'm probably nine years your senior right now as a young staff sergeant. And what you don't know is I was talking to a master sergeant at the other end of the hallway uh, when you decided to uh, berate me at the uh, and have everybody take notice. And last time I checked, the master sergeant outranked the staff sergeant, so I gave him my attention. Um, he said, it would do you, you will go a lot farther if you treat people uh, like people as opposed to the ranks. And from that day on, it, it didn't go uh, unnoticed that that was my new mission. So. Uh, you can learn from from anybody. Uh, everybody has a story, and you can't ignore that story just because you think your ignorance is is in your position, or you can uh, make decisions and have no idea uh, the person that you're talking to. So that's my snapshot of how you learn uh, from those who should be or are physically working for you, and they have a better story than you do at that point. So you can learn a lot by just treating people uh, the same. Symbolically, uh, I enjoy the chief rank and I enjoy it um, for probably one one reason that may not go uh, that may go unnoticed. As the enlisted, we get to keep every rank uh, that we hold on our chest or on our sleeve, depending on the uniform. Uh, and that's, that's symbolic to me because I'll never forget where I came from. Uh, I start in the bottom tier and I work my way up through hard work and a lot of great people that helped me along the way. Uh, and then airmen get to see that as well, um, to see, hey, you have done what I've done, and I can be you one day. So uh, just having that uh, idea, having that visibility, uh, that persona to say, you know what, you can make it too, it goes a long way. So that's, 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 the, that's the secret sauce. Treat people like people. Get to know them, and they will flourish for you. Sir, uh, I've got respect for you. But to hear that story, it just increases my respect for you to to receive that, and, and that's that takes a lot of humility to hear that and and to know uh, it's time to make some changes that yes. are life changing. Um, the next question is pretty simple. It's what motto do you live by? But I think you really described it. Is there another, another motto that maybe uh, hangs out sometimes in your mind that you you try to hang on to? So. I, I struggle with this one as well. Uh, you know, taking care of airmen isn't necessarily a motto, uh, but I do live by it. I think uh, as I've grown and matured a little bit, um, I try and live by uh, different models and uh, it's a great day to have a great day, right? You're not promised. Uh, there's a lot of things that could be an obstacle. Uh, you can do uh, the best that you can with the day that you've given. They're not all promised. Um, nothing's promised, so you just gotta you gotta make do to give your best effort uh, towards the things that you can control. So uh, I, I tell my daughter every morning, you know, it's a great day to have a great day. 
you know, and be nice to someone. Everybody has that uh, infectious uh, need for just, again, being social. So if you can go out and be nice to someone, you don't know what kind of day they've had. And you saying hello and being nice to them uh, could change their life, uh, literally. So um, those are two things that, you know, I, I try and use on my day-to-day -day basis. Something I'm trying to teach my kids is just, you know, go be nice to someone, you know, and have a great day, you know, never, never taken, uh, never miss an opportunity uh, when it comes to that. So uh, right now, yeah, it's a great day to have a great day. Really good. So to the, to the airmen, to the civilians listening right now, uh, what's one piece of advice you want them to go with from this interview? Oh, I, I would say, um, knowing it's your knowing when it's your time to find a better opportunity, whether that be uh, doing four years of service, using your skill set, and going out back into the civilian sector, or spending the twenty years to grow uh, into and develop into the uh, person that helped you along the way. Just know when it's time to do something for you. Know when it's time to do something better. Uh, don't hold on to what you dislike on a day-to-day -day basis because, you know, are you giving it 100% in, in that effort? So um, there used to be a time where we would say, hey, we need every person to stay in uniform or stay in whatever billet organization. Uh, but I believe those times have elapsed. Right. Uh, you do it until you don't love it anymore. Once you don't love it anymore on a great merit, it's time for it to uh, be in the rearview mirror and find something else that you can do uh, that's going to drive you, that's going to uh, benefit your family uh, or just challenge you as a person. Uh, so don't do it, you know, just to do it. Do it because it's something that you love to do. And when you know that it's no longer your passion, find something else that drives you is that's what's going to keep you uh, motivated. It's going to, what's going to keep you going. Um, so do it until it's not fun anymore and then, then find something else to do. Love it. Love it. Now, uh, I said that was the last question, but bonus question. Bonus round. Okay, All go. right. You just said uh, Chattanooga yep. and SEC. Yep. So we got to know. Yep. We got to know. Is which, who's your team? Oh, that, that's that's not even a question, and my boss is probably going to kill me. But hey, uh, I'm a I'm a Tennessee ball through and through. Oh. Been one my entire career, my entire life. Uh, and then you know you ask about mottos, so I will I will deliver another one. Uh, if you have ever served in the military, you serve the DoD. You're always a volunteer. Oh wow. Well, I guess that's better than you starting to sing Rocky Cop, but. Uh... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough but hey, everybody's a volunteer whether you like it or not sorry thank you so much chief neil for your time today some great insight some great things for us to to really think about and uh it's always a pleasure to run into you my name is john owen your host thank you for tuning in to the bes mission success podcast at bes we run the systems that run the air force moving money, manpower, and material. Until next time.